Now, we're joined now by Jihad Dib. Jihad is the principal of Punchbowl Boys High School. And we, 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 asked, to, uh, we asked him to come in because I suppose seven or eight years ago, uh, Punchbowl High School had a lot of problems. Uh, it was one of those schools that, 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 that had, had experienced a, num- a number of issues and, and there were difficulties with what was happening around the school socially and, and what was happening in the school academically. Jihad became principal in, uh, in 2007 and, and has in many ways engineered a transformation in that school that's been quite remarkable. So we thought we would hear his tale. Thanks so much for coming in, Jihad. Lovely. Thanks, thanks, James. Thanks for having and me. And I, I should, uh, particularly on this very difficult day for you when you have been at the St George <laughs> uh, Canterbury game. Most of the kids at your school, a lot of them go for Canterbury, you go for St George, so it's going to be yep. a tough day for you tomorrow. It's going to be a tough day at the office tomorrow, and uh, unfortunately I bumped into some of the game, Yeah, and they uh, they let me know that it was going to be a tough day tomorrow. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I'll prove my loyalty to the Dragons. Yeah, of course you will. <laughs> so when you when you first came into contact with Punchbowl uh, Boys High School, how, how was it, and <clears> what were your first impressions? Uh, look, I think you mentioned that in the intro, um, Punchbowl Boys High School had been a really tough school. There'd been some problems for a, a long period of time, and some of those had also resonated with what was going on in the community at the time. Yeah. Um, like what? Well, look, I think uh, there were a lot of community problems, and I think there'd been some issues in terms of some of the local gang warfare that had been taking place, um, high levels of unemployment, I suppose low aspiration in the community. Yeah. Uh, and for a long period of time, there wasn't that much hope. There wasn't a beacon. And so that then transcends into the school. And I think, um, uh, you know, a few things made it the way that it was. Part of the fact is that this was the first generation of people coming through. Um, Their levels of education weren't what we thought that they would be. Um, Things were tough. There was a strong dependence on welfare and so forth. And so you don't have the perfect conditions for education. And when the community itself is suffering, then the school will suffer as a result of that. So I walked into something that was pretty tough. Um, and in what role did you mm. walk in initially? Initially, I walked in as a deputy principal. Yeah. And, uh, and, and very young, if I may say so, to be a deputy, deputy <laughs> principal. How old were you when you were a deputy uh, principal? About 32, I think, 31, 32. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how did you get that high so quick? Um, look, I, I suppose it was good luck. Um, no. Look, it, <laughs> Don't, don't yeah. say that. Everyone will think, what the, what, the education system just draws them out of a hat? No, no it must look, be merit-based, look, look, sure. Um, Eddie, look, it was merit-based. And, um, I mean, my career started off in Aladala High School. Mm. Uh, to anyone listening in Aladala, g'day. Uh, there were some great days down there, and I decided to take a promotion position in Sydney, and I was a head teacher position. Uh, and I was very lucky that I was going okay in that position, and an opportunity arose to relieve as a deputy. And I did that, not expecting anything of it. Then an opportunity came up to go to deputy to Punchbowl Boys High School. Um, again, I put my hat in the ring, and I was very fortunate I was merit-selected in a position. So being merit-selected, um, you, you put your hat in the ring. There's obviously you've got to promote it yourself. You've got to prove that you're worthy. You've got the yeah. credentials that you can manage your position. The fact that I'd relieved as deputy principal for a year in another school helped a great deal. Mm, um, mm. And, and, and I suppose that's how it was. And where, where did you grow up? Uh, look, we, we grew up, firstly we grew up in Hurstville. Yeah. And then we actually moved over to uh, England in the Sutherland Shire. Yeah. And did that when I was 16. My parents bought a corner shop. And um, we had the shop at the front, lived in the house at the back. Yeah. And, um, and you were the oldest, weren't you? Of how still, many? still am. <laughs> you still am. <laughs> As my brothers keep telling me. Um, how many? Yeah, there's seven of us in the family. And did that mean you could delegate working in the shop or you had to do it all? Uh, yeah, I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what, do your homework behind the counter? Yeah, yeah, so I suppose working in that corner shop, I mean, at the time, 
it seemed like it was really tough, but it actually gave me this excellent work ethic mm. and um, any sense of how important it was that you work together. And what I've taken into the school is a sense of family, and we're a very close family. Um, but what I would feel is that the shop, I mean, I was never forced to work in the shop. Yeah. But me working in the shop would make sure that mum could have a rest, my dad could have a rest, my brothers could have a rest. So, um, you know, I always had that strong work ethic and that belief that whenever you work, you do something to the very best of your ability. If you're given an opportunity, you make the most of it. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier luck. You, you do, you create your own luck and good things come to you if you work hard, but also if you're up to it and you've well, got to be ready for it. Let's talk about, about what you did when you became principal of Punchbowl Boys High School in, in 2007. What were some <clears> of the specific problems you identified? And more importantly, what were some of the specific things you decided to do to, 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 to fix them? Well, well James, I think, um, look, the first thing I'll acknowledge is that there were some outstanding teachers there and they still are there um, and some outstanding leaders who came before me. And indeed, one of my... Um, you know, the whole history of Punchbowl Boys High School is there was a bit of a... The place was in such um, a difficult situation that... So people were brought in to try and fix it. Um, and I was one part of that team. And, you know, they're the outstanding colleagues and they've sort of moved on. And that's how I got the position as a principal. But the first thing that I noticed, I suppose, that I had to look at was actually building that sense of hope. Mm. There was this deep-seated belief amongst the kids that they wouldn't amount to much, that they were at Punchbowl Boys High School um, and they weren't going to get much further than that. Some staff also felt the same, and, you know, some of those staff needed to move on, and, and they did. Um, you know, and it's hard when you're fighting with a kid to say to him, look, you can be something, but his whole life he believed that he couldn't. He can't read properly. He can't do his maths properly. It's hard work. So I think um, the first thing I wanted to do was create a sense of belonging. Yep. To make the fam make make the school like our school, so it wasn't my school, it wasn't the kids' school, it wasn't a parent school, but it was our school collectively, and we've got to take responsibility for everything that happens in the school. And how did you do that, uh, mate? Look, standing at the gate every morning was—it's a simple thing, and I know a lot of principals do it, but one of the most important things that you can do. Really, standing out the gate, shaking hands with the kids, having a laugh, being out there in the afternoon, spending no time in the office. Um, the mantra became about highly visible leadership. Everyone needed to know that I was a member of the senior executive team. They needed to know they could speak to me at any time. So I was there supporting the staff, but also they're supporting the kids hmm. and getting to know all the parents. So I couldn't stand up on assembly and say, well, look, you know, we're all part of a family and all this, but then be hiding in my office all day and kids can't see me. Hmm. There's no such thing as appointment book. You need to see me, you see me. Um, if kids ever need to see me, they'll know that I'll be in the playground at recess and at lunch. And I started giving a bit but, of but, myself. But just on that, I mean, when I went to high school, the last thing I ever wanted to do was talk to the principal. When you say kids need to see you, it was usually you get sent to the principal and that was something you tried to avoid. Did you try and change that attitude? Uh, yeah, and that was a key thing, to change that mentality, to break that idea that there was an us and them. Yeah. And, and again, I come back to that idea that I said it's our school. So this is our school. This is our community. We're going to fix this. We're not going to wait for somebody else to fix it. We're going to fix it from within. So in terms of talking to me, the things we do, and I do a lot of sledging with the kids. You know, sport is a really great one. I love playing handball with the kids, and everyone, people listening would remember the game of handball. It's still played. Um, I'm really good against the year seven kids, but I struggle against the year 10 kids. <laughs> um, getting there, play footy. I suppose being out there to show them that, I wasn't just this authority figure because at that stage, the boys had massive issues with authority figures and teenagers mm. do. 
They're turning on um, the television, listening to the radio, hearing about events that are occurring and keep hearing some cultural profiling that affects them. And so they have these issues. So with, just pause there. Probably yeah. give us a, a, uh, a, a, a cultural breakdown of your school. Who, who's from where? Oh, look, they're all, I mean, they're all uh, from Australia, obviously. Yeah, they're, what are their they're, all, they're all in Australia um, and they're all Australian citizens, um, those who weren't born in Australia, which, uh, but you know, we've got a 99% non-English speaking background. Wow. So of that, we've got 35 different cultural groups. We broke it down. Um, a, a large portion of that is the Arabic kids. And then within the Arabic kids, you can break it down to all the different countries, the different sects, uh, Pacific Islanders, you know, there's a range there. Mm. We've got kids from African horn. We've got European kids, um, uh, from all sorts of countries, Asian, Southeast Asia, Chinese, you know, the, the range there, obviously your Anglo Celtic kids, yeah, but the community itself is a very multicultural community. So yeah, um, but we have kids there who have come refugees and kids who are second generation. So huge gaps there. Um, and what we work to do is to build this idea that family that we don't want you being known as you know you come from this particular group or this particular group. You're a student at Punchbowl Boys High School. And your job is to make this school the best school that it can be. And I expect the same of my staff. And one of the things that you do as a leader is you can't ask staff to do something that, one, you couldn't do yourself, or two, you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself. So it's about that building the relationships. And I think when I first went in there, that was the one thing that I felt was missing. There were real fractured relationships everywhere mm. amongst the staff and the students. Talking to Jihad Dib, principal of Punchbowl Boys High School, about the transformation he's, uh, to a large part, engineered in, in that school over the last <coughs> few years. And he's uh, uh, bravely talking to us with a <laughs> sore throat after too much barracking for yeah, a... Yeah, too much booing. Too much, yeah, yeah. for a losing team yeah, today, yeah. St George. Uh, so tell me, you know, you've talked about being approachable, getting yeah. to know the kids, not being this authority figure. But what do you say when a kid is sent to you who's yeah. being disruptive in class, has been, you know, hassling the teachers, stopping yep. other kids working, all that stuff. What do you do? Okay, well, James, I, I think the key thing to make, um, I suppose the point to make is that there's that idea of being firm and fair. Hmm. So by being friendly and being nice and being one of the boys, you're not letting anyone get away with anything. And I think that's a really important thing, especially for boys. Yep. There has to be a consequence. The question that we ask is, is the consequence commensurate? What is it that we want? Do we actually want to punish this kid, you know, in effect for the rest of time? Or do we actually want to change your behaviour? So the kid will get a consequence and we're hoping that the change will be in behaviour. So there is a lot of mentoring that goes on. In terms of... Really so do you mean wait. It, it won't be the punishment you impose, if that's what you call it, the consequence for someone muck it up in class mm. or doing something serious will be something mm. that is designed to actually assist them in some way. It'll be attaching them to something that'll... A mentor yes. or something yeah. like that. Oh, look, look, so there still is a consequence. So, as I said, kids don't get away with stuff. Um, and it's important not to. But I think it's also important to keep in mind that we're dealing with teenage kids. Yeah. And I was a teenage kid once, and, and you were as well. We make mistakes. We do dumb things. Um, well, I don't think yeah. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did many. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I did a few. <laughs> but, you know, and, and you've, got, you've got to have a consequence for it. Mm. Um, I, I think that the consequence, though, is an opportunity to learn. So whether you give the kids a an after-school attention or, you know, a timeout or you pair an interview, it's always got to end well. And I always like to end every interview that I have with the kids with a handshake. It's always got to end with a handshake that, mate, this is what's happened. Here's the consequence. You accept it. I accept it. We move on. You're not getting away with it. But the same token, 
we're not going to keep remembering this thing. What's really important too is get away from that idea that the principal has to deal with everything and the deputies. So over time, we've built our staff and we've got an excellent welfare system and it's based on a very positive approach. So we, we try and catch the kids doing the right thing as well. And I think it's important to acknowledge them. And as much as kids say they don't want to be acknowledged, boys especially, mm. they, they do like a little quiet, um, you know, tap on the back saying, mate, well done. I think the, the point that is most important is that when something really serious happens, the serious consequence comes with it. Mm. But you've got to keep in mind it's not the end of the world. And you're winning people over because standing up on the assembly, walking around in the school, being highly visible, the best sort of discipline that we give is the one where we're just constantly talking to the kids because eventually what we want is we actually want the kid to make sure that when they've got the option to do the wrong thing, they stop and think for themselves and go, I actually don't want to do it. The worst thing that can happen is if the kid's doing the right thing just because I'm standing there. Because if that's the case, then I haven't really taught him mm. to be able to think for himself and to make the right choices. Have, have you got an example? I, I wouldn't want you to, you know, mention kids by name, but an example of a kid who maybe was heading in the wrong direction that then started making better choices. Oh, look, there's there's a number of there's mm. a number of examples, and um, uh, you know, where kids, it's when you live in a community where things are pretty tough. Sometimes it's harder to do the right thing. Mm. And, um, you know, when your family's doing it tough and you're doing it tough and schools are struggling and you can't, you've got low literacy and you've got low numeracy and you don't have much faith and confidence in yourself, it's pretty easy to go down that wrong path. So we've had a few. And, I mean, one kid in particular that I could think about um, just recently, uh, a few years ago he was really caught up on the wrong side of the law and nobody gave up on him. The teachers didn't give up on him, even though he was being... You can imagine how difficult he was being. Mm, like, mm. You're trying to have a conversation with the kid and he's just, he's, the fact that he's turning up to school is the first thing that we thought was important because I'd rather him be at school than out on the street because if he's out on the street, there's more chance he's going to do something wrong or get himself into further trouble. Um, look, to cut a, you know, to cut a long story short, the fact that we just kept believing in him, we just kept working on him, kept working on him, helped him with his literacy, helped him with his numeracy, encouraged him helped him get into the right uniform, started to make things easier for him so that if he was coming to school out of uniform, rather than send him home or get him in trouble because he didn't have the uniform, we thought differently. Okay, mate, here's a school jumper. Put it on mm. because we actually want you in this door. We're there shaking your hand. We want you here. He starts to believe in it. And that particular kid then went on to become one of the success stories and his hope is that he will go to university at the end of this year. Three years ago, you know, you would, have, you would have called me nuts if I'd said that this kid's going to go to university. He's one of many examples. And my staff are amazing. You know, like I'm the guy who stands behind the microphone or stands on a lectern, but they're the ones who make the magic happen. And they're the ones who believe in what we do. And if I didn't have staff who believed in what we do, then all I am is just one bloke with a story. So you mentioned earlier on, didn't you, that, that some of the staff, when you first became principal, the best thing would, was that they moved on, yes? Mm -hmm. That hasn't, it, am, I, am I right, has notoriously been difficult in the <coughs> public education system. How, did you have much autonomy in, in making that happen or, or, or how did that all work? Oh, look, James, 
I mean, not in terms of them moving on because there was a, um, you know, there was a problem in terms of their performance. Maybe it was just they'd been there too long, or they just stopped believing yeah. in the ability of these kids to go. So they're pretty good teachers, but they kind of like just lost their connection with the kids and with that school. And maybe weren't of their belief that I thought that you go in with a different positive approach instead of uh, looking at all the problems. Let's start actually looking at the good stuff and try and build up a bit of steam that way. Some decided that teaching wasn't for them. Some decided yeah. that they wanted to go somewhere else. Some decided to work. Um, in a different system altogether, but but they could have, couldn't they? Could they could have? Some of them could have said, "Well, <clears> too bad, I'm staying." Well, and we've got processes for that, you know. I mean, yeah. people talk about autonomy, and people talk about hire and fire and all that sort of thing. And I don't think hiring and firing is the issue. I think the issue is more about there is a there is a process where um, you know every school student deserves to be taught by a great teacher. Mm. That's that's what I believe. Are there enough great teachers? Um, Look, I think there's there's a lot of great teachers. There's like like any profession, you know, you've got some who are really fantastic, but great set up a really high benchmark. And I think what I'm really pleased is some people who are coming into teaching now. There's a different way of thinking, and you know, you need to mix it up. You need the really experienced ones with the with the young ones. You need the ones who have had different experiences in life. Sometimes some of the great teachers aren't the ones with the most letters behind their name, but actually the ones, for me, I'm looking for the teachers who can best connect with the kids Yeah. because that's really important. When you're working with boys, you don't want to be backing them into a corner. You want to look at how you can still have a lot of fun. Now, so you've been principal there since 2007. It's now 2014, seven hardworking years. It's your aim to you know stay there for another seven years or what have you got to, you want to find a, another school that's sort of got big problems and go do, do it somewhere else or what look there's a few more strings to my bow than just a bloke who fixes problem school so um <laughs> look it's um it's funny I, i've been asked that question a, a lot of times um i suppose when you build something together yeah. and you know um i get the plaudits but again it's it's the guys i work with you build something together, it's really hard. Um, you know, like, I don't want to think of the day that I'm going to leave that school. Mm. But, you know, like anything, there's got to come a time when everyone needs to leave a certain place. Mm. Um, you know, it's going to get too easy well, soon. It'll be a perfect school. And well, we'll... you know, look, and that's the thing. Let's not mistake it. At any given moment, anything can happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, what we've actually got is a lot of fun there. You know, it's a really enjoyable place to be this amazing concept of family that we have, we still got, you know, you're dealing with teenage boys. Teenage boys yeah. don't think. But <laughs> um, in terms of a sense of belonging, as I say, like, you know, they're talking about the X, the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. Yeah, yeah. And boys got the extra one, which is, you know, the, 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 the non-thinking chromosome yes. that boys just get. Um, so I suppose to answer that question, I, I, I don't know. James, You'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different options. But... Um, Look, when you work with kids in schools and, and when you see things change, if this is the greatest success that I have in my career, then I've had a really fantastic life. Then you'll be happy. Well, it was mm. lovely to speak to you. Thank you Thank so you. much Thanks for coming. Thank you for the invite, James.